0: I'm very much uh, against the bar exam as a concept. I think that the bar exam exists almost as cover for bad law school behavior. Uh, We have this exam such that a law school can charge a bunch of money to a student, send them out in the world where they aren't able to practice. We just rely on this test to catch that. I would much rather a world in which regulatory bodies were cracking down on law schools to make sure that everyone who graduates is ready to go immediately.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Answering Legal's Everything Except the Law Podcast. I am your host, Nick Worker. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the podcast where we share expert advice on all the parts of running a law firm that attorneys weren't exactly trained for back in law school. Now, my guest for this episode has been a part of the legal world for many years. He previously worked as a litigator and over the past decade has transitioned to covering the field of law. He serves as a senior editor for Above the Law and is the co-host of the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. Today, we'll be getting his take on all of the latest legal news and trends. Joe Patrice joins me now. Thank you so much for being here, Joe. Great to be here. Um, so for those who are not already familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your involvement with the world of law over the years? Yeah, so I started out as a lawyer,
0: uh, mostly mostly toiling to pay off loans and that sort of thing. Uh, did Litigation, both at the big firm level and then at a boutique, doing a lot of white collar defense stuff. When I paid off my loans, I decided I could find a way to use my law degree for something a little more creative. And I fell into writing for Above the Law, which is, you know, kind of a, it a, was a, at the time already established a, it, it, it changes how you describe it. Some people call it like the gossip sheet of the, uh, you know, the, the legal world, you know, we try to be a little bit more, the spoonful of sugar that you uh, take your legal news with, however you want to describe it. I got in working for them and I've been there ever since. Uh,
1: so I remember I, I fell into the legal world too. Um, I fell into this job just cause I needed money. Um, I, I didn't have any plans to uh, get into this world. I was in school to be at the time an accountant. Um, but I remember getting involved in this and, uh, forget who sent me it, but I was checking out all these publications, like above the law, um, attorney at work lawyerist. And I remember being, uh, like, I couldn't believe that law firms were engaging in these types of talks. So I was, I was kind of enthralled by it because I was like, oh, maybe I'm getting involved in like a world that is, is ready to adopt, adopt technology and, and, uh, and move forward, you know? Uh, so in, in in recent months, right, there's been a lot of discussion about artificial intelligence. I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about, this whole chat GPT thing, um, and how lawyers can potentially use it to improve their firms. So I want to ask you, what has stood out to you the most um, when it comes to law firms adopting, like, AI technology?
0: Yeah, what's stood out
1: the most, I think, is we're...
0: The last like five or six months have been really interesting because I think everything started accelerating way faster than anybody expected. Uh, I was speaking with the folks from Case Text the other day, and one of the things that they mentioned was that, you know, that's the world that they're in is in AI. and They frankly felt that where we are right now is something that they would have said is where we'll be in five years. Uh, and now we're here now. Uh, whatever it was, a a kind of a dam broke. And all of a sudden, and I think ChatGPT had a large part of it. All of a sudden, the technology was just good enough that everyone finally stood up and said, oh, wait a minute, this has potential. Uh, And yeah, and we've seen it. We've got uh, law firms investing in their own, you know, in not in their own, but in various products that utilize generative AI in some way. Uh, Folks are now more willing to talk about AI. I mean, there's been AI embedded in a lot of legal products. And after the hype cycle of several years ago, people have stopped really talking about it as AI and started referring to it by different things so that it wouldn't scare the lawyers. Uh, People no longer have to do that. People understand what it is now. Uh, And it is really amazingly fast how this has developed
1: so i think and this is true of a lot of industries because i know that we had a scare with ai we were like this is a call center right we're we're made up of of human labor you know what we promise is that we have the human element the human touch so one of the scares i think in this ai coming out for us was that we would all lose our jobs um to a force like chat gpt right um, but many are speculating that AI could eventually end up taking over what I what I would speculate as a majority of the work that lawyers do so how much of a concern do you believe this actually is for the attorney community?
0: So I, I have two prongs of that actually I think that as far as lawyers as a whole profession, I don't think it has a real risk. Ultimately, there are going to need to be calls that are made by humans. Uh, there are going to be situations where the creativity element is critical. Uh, even when the law says, in some ways, uh, especially in litigation, sometimes you're trying to advocate for something new. If you're, uh, the law is what it is, but you want it to be changed, the AI has a harder time figuring out how they're going to want to change it, right? They can tell you the answer, not the, not the new thing. So, I think as a profession, it's fine. The the big risk for me is in the training aspect because a lot of what's going to happen with this AI is it's going to start cutting into the junior roles uh, because those are the roles that are most easily automated. And unfortunately, at a certain point, where do you get those senior smart lawyers if they didn't come up through those junior ranks? And I don't know as though law has grappled with how it's going to train people to become the next generation of smart lawyers if they aren't the ones on the ground doing these little tasks that AI can pretty easily take over in the next few years.
1: So I'm, I'm taking the bait on this. Uh, is there anything <laughs> that you think could bridge that gap between, I don't know, like a, a, a... A brand new associate or, or, or a one, you know, somebody just getting out of law school and somebody who has this nuanced understanding of the law, uh, without them, I don't know, having to do the menial work that AI could do in order to like improve profitability and, and, and all of that. And I think there is, I I don't know as though
0: I completely buy the idea that you have to Do menial work in order to learn the next step and the next set of stuff. Unfortunately, that's how the model is set up. We've set everything up such that that menial work is the training wheels. Um, And I I don't know as though I know what the right answer is, but it definitely needs a wholesale change in the model of training uh, because we definitely have relied on the idea that. Marking up documents and turning them and physically retyping them into the new thing is how you learn those nuances. And if that's going to be taken away, then what do we do? Is it, is it classroom style training? Is it some other kind of experiential training? That's going to be a harder job uh, for us to work out. Uh, maybe, maybe we can just ask the AI and it'll tell us the right answer to it. But right now, I don't know as though we have
1: it. That's a good answer. Let's ask the AI and it'll tell us. I mean, whatever.
0: It'll figure it out. I'm sure it has something.
1: Right. Uh, So one of the, I guess this has cooled off as a topic because I think a lot of people have taken their stance on this already, but over the last few years, we've seen an increase in remote and hybrid workers. Um, Based on what you've seen, how has this largely affected the law firm community?
0: Yeah, it, it's been it's been a bit of it's been a bit of a struggle. I think that early on, at least, everybody started coalescing around the idea that four to three to four days was probably the right model uh, of in-office work. Lawyers, especially big firms, are really working seven days anyway, so it doesn't matter how many of them are in the office or not. People started saying, "Hey, we can we can adjust," uh, and that's great. The downside of, that, and downside of that has been, you know, it, it's going to become a theme here. It's going to be a training issue. You know, uh, partners telling me how to do things was almost never how I learned. I learned by doing a thing, often not for a mid-level associate, but in front of a mid-level associate who said, why would you ever do that? Uh, and that's where the break is, because the mid-level associates right now, they're saying, why do I have to go back to the office at all? we were in a pandemic and we I made you money like gangbusters working from home. Problem is they're the ones who have to be there for those junior associates to see what they need to do. Uh, and this almost gets supercharged in the AI world because now, now it's not even the menial task that's teaching them, it's, it's that interaction. Uh, and finding that balance to bring uh, people together in ways where they can learn Is going to be a challenge. I think some firms have leaned into the idea that, hey, this is just how it's going to be and we're going to cope with it. Others are starting, especially when they started fearing that the economy was going down, they started saying, pulling back, saying, no, no, you have to be here certain days. You actually, now we're going to have you be here more often. I don't think that's a particularly productive way of responding because there's enough people who want to be hybrid and the lateral market is fluid enough that if you go that route, people are just gonna leave. You still need the talent and striking a balance is gonna be key. I also think that the whole hybrid thing is going to, it's gonna suffer, well not suffer, it's going to experience a bump here in a few years as office leases start coming up. Uh, When firms start realizing, wait a minute, this three days a week, I can cut back a floor or two. Uh, And when that happens, then I think we'll see a change. But right now, with people locked in, there's still a few firms who are uh, really dragging on this and really want to go back to five days.
1: I think it's funny because it's tax season, right? Um, Recently, I switched um, the person who handles my personal tax return, whatever you call it. And so I'm speaking to her, and I said, because this is the first time we worked together, I said, where do I need to go? And what I meant was like, what, what website do I need to go to? You know, like where's the portal that I upload documents and fill out my information. She was like, I don't meet with clients in person. Um, <laughs> which I found funny because I learned that she works entirely from home. So there's no way right. like we could, I guess, meet up at a Starbucks or, or a rented office space. So that model has already, I think adapted to this idea that they don't need a physical workspace either. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how that will look in the legal world. Like, will we move toward this whole, uh, if anybody remembers, I don't even know if WeWork is still around after that whole, yeah. uh, like CEO, debacle, right. but, but WeWork, you could, you could rent office space, um, basically on demand. So I think if lawyers I mean needed to meet with a client in person, the client insisted on it for whatever reason, I mean, you could rent like a hot space like that. I don't know how that's going to look, um, but I, I find it interesting that there are certain, what I'll call professions in the in the classical sense that are already moving away from physical office space. There's no need for me to go meet with my accountant, take a picture of the document, send it to me. If I have a question, I'll call you. I find that hysterical. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, I, I th- think yeah. I was just going to say that I I did
0: an office tour before the pandemic of an office that. Ironic, you know, like at the time, it was pre-pandemic, and people didn't. Uh, a lot of the associates were kind of grumbling about it. Uh, in retrospect, it seems brilliant. Uh, Boyce Schiller's new office in New York was constructed around the idea that they pushed away a lot of the individual offices, pushed away a lot of, like a lot of people, hoteling or cooperating in carols as far as individual offices, and then just loaded up the space with conference rooms and war rooms and stuff like that uh, with the idea that what you need the office for is to meet with a client in a presentable way. And then maybe you need some spaces where three or four associates are working on things together, but you don't really need individual spaces. And they kind of utilize the floor plan that way. And at the time it was, it was a bold move, but now I kind of think that is the vision of the future in a hybrid world.
1: What else are you using that space for besides like the vanity of of big offices or or cubicles where people are like, I would much prefer to work from home than a cubicle or a big open, you know, war room in that sense. Um, But if I did want to meet with a client, like you said, in a presentable way, I think that seems to be the best option, especially if there is. I don't know, like if dedicated is the word where, um, you know, like, you know, where everything is, you kind of control the environment. You can assist that client, um, because they're coming to you, you get what I'm saying is that there, there needs to be like a home base for that interaction to happen. Uh, so I think obviously after this whole, uh, pandemic, we knew that the legal world was going to see some changes. We didn't necessarily know what I mean, the most obvious is what we're talking about, the remote. Um, but I want to know specifically what the most surprising trend that you have seen that's taken place over the past couple of years due to everybody having to be shut down.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it is is—it is the hybrid stuff. And it's even though there's, there's been some pushback, it was how quickly some of the firms were willing to say, okay, fine, three to four days. I really thought that this was a profession that was going to fight way harder on that. Uh, and even though there are a few firms that do, most folks have kind of come around to the idea that we they don't really need to force that issue on folks. And that was a shock. I really didn't see that coming. This, of all professions, I thought would be more stodgy.
1: I... I agree with you. I didn't, I thought the courts would get way more backlogged with stuff, but they continued. Mm. Uh, like I couldn't believe the courts went online. Truthfully, I, it happened. And I said, wow, good for them. That's amazing. I can't believe it. I guess when you have to, you, you, right. you, you I gotta mean, do what you gotta yeah. do. So in my business, obviously we have a call center. There could be anybody or, or any number of people answering phones from a hundred to, 300 at any time. And we had continually in the same like a uh, industrial complex bought more and more space to fit all these people. And when the pandemic happened, I always knew that we had the ability to uh to like work remote and allow people access to it, but it was almost instantaneous. They sent I couldn't I really I couldn't believe it. They sent everybody home, everybody got a computer, a phone, a login, and it was the same exact thing. And then there was no hiring freeze. Obviously in my business, there's turnover. You got to train people. You got to, people want to leave. It's amazing what necessity can make you, make you accomplish. Um, so I want to ask, because I think, I think your perspective is unique in that you cover a lot of topics and that you, de- you, you don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. You know what I'm saying? So yeah what's a topic or story in the legal world that you don't think gets nearly enough attention but is really interesting? Yeah, that's a good one.
0: Uh, I I think we one of the things that Above the Law talks about a lot is bonuses. That's kind of our, our bread and butter has always been that we're the people that everyone goes to with. This firm's paying this, but it's not paying that. Uh, and that's great. And we always put that out there. We put out compensation news and it's valuable. And obviously it it fuels the lateral market and everything like that. One thing that I've always wished we could cover more, but unfortunately is so black box that it's hard for us to get is benefit stuff. I do think that there are differences between firms, uh, in, not necessarily across the big law world, but between big law and Regional mid law and certainly small law, where the money is comparable uh, and they're able to say, hey, we're paying about the same, whatever. I've never really gotten a good sense of being able to dig into, yeah, but this firm is, you know, if you have to pay a sufficiently larger buy into the health insurance plan that it wipes out some of that money, et cetera. Uh, That's the thing that I really wish I could report more on uh, because I think it is important, especially for people who, to the extent that we serve in many ways, the associates who are moving from place to place that I've never been able to get a good handle on. Uh, On the tech side, I actually would have said it was AI uh, for years. But now, uh, that one's gotten blown up on me because that, that really was the thing that I felt nobody was talking enough about what role it was going to play. But uh, time makes fools of us all here. We will be right
1: back after this short ad. Who doesn't want to be a successful attorney with a busy practice but still have that life? Having those lunch breaks, playing golf, going on vacation. Answering legal allows you to.
0: I really just don't have a need for a receptionist anymore. I've used Answering Legal services for the past two years, and I wish I retained Answering Legal 10 years earlier. Answering Legal is an extension of my firm. It allows lawyers and paralegals to actually work without answering the phone. Anytime I leave this office, I know my business is still running.
1: Sometimes we're in court
0: or we're dealing with other clients. And because of Answering Legal, my partner and I are able to address any client concerns or any new clients immediately, and it's really increased our business. If you wish to enhance your client base, improve your client satisfaction, and at the same time, reduce your overhead, then hire Answering Legal.
1: I think what your publication does exceptionally well, is kind of evaluating how prepared lawyers are to enter the legal world. I'm gonna say new lawyers, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, because obviously this podcast, we cover things that lawyers don't necessarily learn in law school. So how how would you specifically evaluate the job that law schools are doing these days? And are there any areas that you think need improvement, as it pertains to students becoming lawyers, like coming of age. Yeah, uh, not great. Uh,
0: And I don't necessarily think it's the law school's fault as much as it's the broader regulation of the profession's fault. I'm very very much uh, against the bar exam as a concept. I think that the bar exam exists almost as cover for bad law school behavior. Uh, We have this exam such that a law school can charge a bunch of money to a student, send them out in the world where they aren't able to practice. We just rely on this test to catch that. I would much rather a world in which regulatory bodies were cracking down on law schools to make sure that everyone who graduates is ready to go immediately. That said, um, part of that getting ready to go immediately is the the third year law school is... Pretty useless as is. Uh, It could either. Some people have called for cutting back the length of law school. I'm kind of on the side of keeping it at three years, but utilizing the third year. I think, especially in a world where we might see the the menial tasks of entry level lawyers being curtailed, that might be an opening for law schools to do a better job of teaching that kind of practical learning. Uh, So far, to the extent anyone ever talks about practical legal education, they tend to be, you know, throw them in a clinic or something like that. Uh, It's very kind of, shrug, they can sign a few papers. I think a more comprehensive vision uh, and one that is less litigation centric because, you know, not every lawyer is going to be a litigator. Uh, What do we do to help train practically the people who are going to be writing wills or negotiating M&A deals and stuff like that, that work is going to have to go somewhere if the law firms stop doing it or replace it with AI. And that's a place where I think law schools could get ahead of the game, but there's not really a good incentive for any one law school to do that because the whole system is set up to not reward them for doing that. Uh, So I have a I have a much more the whole system of how we get from 1L to licensed needs to be performed in
1: a serious wholesale way. So uh, I'm an anecdotal person. I'm on TikTok a lot. I like TikTok as a as a company, we post on TikTok. and then I guess that I guess the things that I interact with on the internet, TikTok understands that I'm interested in these legal topics from lawyers, all this stuff. But there's a really interesting guy. I don't remember his name. Uh, He's got this great red beard. And he says, uh, do you think you're so smart? Do you think you could pass this? Do you think you could pass the bar exam without studying? And he'll read you uh, like a very nuanced question from the bar exam. I have never studied the bar exam. So I don't know what the heck I'm looking at here. Um, But I find it so interesting. And I'm like, oh, but I think the object is to guess the the closest answer, and I try to, right. to guess what I think would be the best. Um, and I do think having a fundamental understanding of the law, as it pertains to like case law and um, the actual like wording of, of 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 our legal system is important because I don't understand what's right and wrong in certain situations. So I think that that subjective understanding is what law schools really do well, but I am, I, I do think it's funny that you say that lawyers aren't prepared to really do anything besides these experiential menial tasks when they get to law firms. So I I, I don't know what the solution would necessarily be. Is it yeah. like a mandatory internship? Um, like I, I think of the, the world of like um, social work. I have a friend, I have a lot of friends who are social workers and you it's mandatory that you do it's gotta be i think it's 160 hours of work in a in a real clinic besides your schoolwork, and you're paying to get that education too so i don't know where the reform needs to be but i do think that this on the job menial experiential learning if it's going to go away that there's going to be need to be some experiential replacement in law school
0: yeah and even if it's not real and it's you know a lab, basically. I mean, I was I was a litigator, so I'm I'm part of the problem here, not the solution. <laughs> but the uh, the what as I've gotten more of a holistic view of the industry as a person covering it, I feel I feel for the folks who are doing ERISA work. What did they learn in law school that has anything to do with their lives? Uh, that's the sort of place where. I feel like that's a, that's a good use of the 3L time is whether it's real internship for a place or it's a hypo lab where they do these experiments on like the day-to-day work, like they need to figure out somehow what that's supposed to look like, uh, because right now that's by working at a law firm and generating hours that the law firm then writes off because they're all useless. Uh, but if that goes away,
1: where are they going to learn it? I, I take your point that, so my sister's a nurse and I remember, I, so I don't know anything about nursing. I went to school to be like a business guy. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a nurse smart, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to talk to people. That's about it. Uh, and I, I would be like, oh, how's school going? How are you doing? How's your class? Oh, I was in the hospital today and I, I Mm. did, uh, I did three catheters. I did a blood drawing, uh, what else? Oh my God, intubating patients. And I'm like, but you're not a registered nurse. You're, you're in school. So that type of on the job training, I think is what we both agree is missing from law school. And, and yes. I don't think could, is not easily manufactured in a, in a controlled environment. So yeah. I do think there's an opportunity for, for law schools to, uh, to adapt in that way, to evolve in that way. Yeah. Um, But like, but like on that transactional side though, that like uh,
0: to use the example of like the ERISA lawyer, they, a lot of what they're doing at a junior level is they're on these long calls that talk about what the deal needs to look like. And then they're drawing language from the universe that would meet everyone's needs. And then by doing that process, they eventually learn how to be creative and think of what that new stuff would be. But like, Drawing from the vast library of past deals to meet certain requirements, that is something that the rudimentary AI we have today probably can handle. Uh, and that's, that's the stuff that worries me. Because dr- putting a catheter in, hopefully, is not getting replaced by one of those robots, uh, uh, at least not on me. Uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but, but uh, drawing language, that,
1: that could be replaced. I guess you're right. So, I think this next question is that what concerns you most about about the future of law is that there's a lot that could be replaced in that way.
0: Yeah, because I think I think it's good that you can replace a lot of that stuff. I think the answers it's going to give are actually better uh, long term. But, like I said, and it's I said it about litigation, but I think it's true everywhere too that you know the the value of the lawyer is when. It's not uh, something that is easily drawn from a past deal. Uh, oh, this is what the answer has always been, but we want it to be this new creative one to protect some novel aspect of our business. Uh, how do you take all of that and think, here's this new way we can do it based on my experience? That's the hardest thing to replace, but if you aren't doing if you aren't doing that all the time, are you going to learn it? And, and to some extent, Running it through the AI over and over and over again, you're going to see its results and learn something there. But is that enough? Uh, I actually somebody brought up to me uh, yesterday, totally rant, totally different subject, but it relates. That we were a bunch of us were talking. There was some issue that we needed to find the answer to, and I no one could find it the normal way. I went through a bunch of different sources and avenues, and I found the answer. And the younger people didn't, and somebody pointed out that there was a study that she'd heard of recently that one of the gaps between kind of the Gen X and the younger generations is that for those who've always had the internet, when search engines don't turn it up, they don't really know how to work around that. If it has failed them, they don't know to be like, all right, well, it's not there, but I can go to the this database and... I can go into that database and look, and I know I know the name of the journal that I kind of want to get this information from. Maybe I can just go to their homepage and find it. Like the idea of looking for things in different ways, they don't necessarily get. They're they're more likely to just say, "Let me work on a new search query." Uh, just keep going to the same uh, search engine and keep trying new things, as opposed to, oh, "I got an idea how to work around this problem." Uh, and I think that's that's where some of this lawyery learning, lawyerly learning is uh, that I worry about. If you get so used to the AI spitting out the answer for you, you're going to see trends and learn things, but you're only going to learn that avenue. And when it can't get you the answer, do you know how to
1: come at the answer uh, the backwards way? So I've never been to law school. Um, but one of the things that I have heard from my many companions and uh and colleagues about law school is that i want to say i I don't know if this sounds critical this is a pun uh but that critical thinking is not necessarily like pushed on lawyers um it's this is the way that this is and and you sort of learn to think in this logical way as opposed to thinking critically um is do you think that's the case with you know, going to the, going to the same well over and over again with, uh, with search engines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think there's, I think with law school, it, there, there are kind of two paths of law school too. There's, you definitely are, especially in your first year, you're definitely being told, don't think critically, work this out the logical way, uh, get to the right answer. Uh, in later And some upper division courses are like that, too. But others start then getting into the what what happens when the law attacks, (laughs) like the the old when animals attack. Uh, Law attacks. This is where you start having these classes that say, well, why is it that this is the law? What should it be? How could we make it better in a way that? addresses a client need or the needs of society and yada yada. So those classes do exist, but they, they definitely aren't the entry level ones because you need to know how to get the right answer first. But yeah, the, I think putting aside the lawyerly thing, the, the law school thing, I mean, the as a lawyer, that's, that's the kind of thinking that happens as you advance. Uh, when you, are, when you are taking the position the law isn't necessarily on the side of, how do you spin it so that it helps? Th- that kind of thinking is the critical thinking that isn't necessarily in law school, but it happens over time.
1: So selfishly, I want to ask you, I, I am like, I'll, I'll give you a good example. One of my favorite things in the world, in the entire world, is to find like a restaurant or a business that has terrible, terrible, terrible customer reviews. And I like to read those reviews and it's just like, my wife loves gossip. I just love bad reviews. I love hearing what, what people are complaining about. Cause it's both, I can't believe that a business owner did this and I can't believe that a customer expected this and it's just, okay. it's melded into one. I love it so much. So in the same <laughs> realm, uh, in your experience, what are some of like the wildest and and craziest things that you've had to cover over the years that you you couldn't help but say to yourself, "I cannot believe that I am talking about this in in a publication like Above the Law." Oh yeah, well okay, well, well
0: you had it right until the end because in a publication like Above the Law, everything I, I expect to be crazy. So uh, it, you know, um, the it's difficult to narrow it down because we cover so much crazy obviously one of the all-time favorites in this actually predated my uh, being there but you know I talked with everybody who was involved with the story was when a summer associate in an event at an event in New York decided to jump into the river uh, that was something that I did not see coming uh, and had to be fished out by the Coast Guard so that was uh that was a thing did get an offer though so Good for them uh so there's that uh i often am covering judges behaving badly uh really shocking always there i had a i mean i had a fist fight ju- where a judge called the defense lawyer into a hallway and it was caught on closed captioning that he was punching him uh that you didn't necessarily expect uh, obviously there was the the cat filter which was more funny and lighthearted, but a classic uh, it's it's just there's so many, uh, but they they all kind of have in common that this profession is still human deep down. Uh, I guess maybe this will this is my, my attempt to be kind of meta uh, about the, our whole AI conversation. Fundamentally, for better or worse, there are people at the end at the end of all of these legal things, and they do fun stuff uh, that sometimes is stupid uh, and could probably be improved by the ai that wouldn't get in a fist fight on the other hand that's also where some of that creative spark is that can't at least at this juncture be replicated uh you know it takes a certain kind of the same kind of brain that uh will jump in a river is also the same kind of brain that comes up with the
1: creative answer so that's that's kind of been my experience with it it is I always say this, it is so interesting that we are all the same species because there's a lot of differences. So if our audience wants to hear more from you, where should they go? Where should they be following you? Where do we, where do we go find more of Joe Patrice? Okay. Uh, several places.
0: So above the law is obviously the easiest one because I'm writing there every day. Uh, I am presently on Twitter at Joseph Patrice for as long as Twitter lasts. Uh, there, I, have accounts at the other places, but I haven't really delved into them yet. Uh, I'm also on the podcast Thinking Like a Lawyer, which is kind of our weekly roundup of above the law stories. If somebody doesn't have the time to read them all, will you can hear us talk about them and crack some jokes about them. Uh, I'm also a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalists Roundtable, uh, where me and a bunch of other legal tech reporters from a bunch of different publications sit down and talk about legal tech every week on Fridays. Uh, it's a webinar on Fridays and then put out as a podcast after. And that that more or less sums up all of the places where
1: I I always am. So, Joe, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate it. I um, want to give a thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we will be back with another episode of Everything Except the Law soon. Be sure to check out previous episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and the Answering Legal YouTube channel. As always, links to everything that we covered and just mentioned about where you can find Joe uh, will be in the description of the episode. We hope to see you next time, everyone.